Hello, my name is Casey Rogers, and I'm your host for the Emerging Writers Series podcast. This podcast is an exploration for what it takes for a writer to become a published author and how to sustain a professional writing career. Like many of you, writing is my passion, and I'm confident I know how to write a compelling story. But what holds me back is the same thing that holds other writers back. How do we navigate a system that is more about finding a bestseller than it is about finding the best work? There are obstacles to our success, and many of them have nothing to do with the quality of our writing. This is a special episode for multiple reasons. Today I'm speaking with author Bob Emery about his book, America Standing Strong. Full disclosure, after I did this interview with Bob, he asked me to narrate the audiobook, a project that's still in the works. But I'm so happy that he made me part of this project because I believe that this is the type of book that could change the hearts and minds of many in our country, making us aware of how we can fully participate in preserving our democracy. It's a thoughtful, powerful book with strategies on how we can protect our individual freedoms, especially at a time when they're being sorely tested. And while it is a serious book, Bob has crafted it in a way that makes it thoroughly enjoyable to read with his humorous overtones. Good morning. Today I'm speaking with Bob Emery, and this is a supplement to a previous podcast where I introduced you to Bob and the various books that he's written over the past couple of years. And I'm going to let Bob take it away and tell you about his new book and what it's all about. Casey, thank you. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here. The name of the book is America Standing Strong. And it came about because I had read several early books that were excellent books by Bob Woodward and some others that came out. But I noticed that they were all about a period of between 2016 and 2020, and they dealt only with the polarization and the problems we had in this country politically. And it struck me that there was a bigger story to be told here. And that was, what did the people go through? Not only during the political, but then followed by the horrendous lies and misinformation that came out during the election. And then it was followed by January 6th. And there was this big conspiracy. And then there was the pandemic came along. Black Lives Matter came along. I mean, what was happening to the American people? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a try. There was a couple of months of research first because my concept was that I'm just an everyman and I needed to present the voices of others. And so this book is studded with quotes and excerpts from articles of respected voices, certain amount of reason to all of our problems. And then it's filled in with my personal observations that kind of tie it all together. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do it with a little bit of humor because as my wife will tell you, my sense of humor never stops to her detriment sometimes. But in any case, I'm just about all wrapped up with it. And that, that was the genesis. That was it. I wanted to say to the American people, look, this is what I saw. What did you see? Or how can we fix this? Because we partially were responsible not for the events, but how they played out. That was the important thing. We had no control over what happened. Or what did we do about it? Take the pandemic, for instance. Mm -hmm. You cannot avoid saying it didn't need to be this bad. 
Now, the other thing is that none of these situations where we did things wrong make us bad people. I, I honestly think Americans are good people. I've traveled the world, and, and I know. What are all of us guilty of, and how can we avoid it in the future to make life better for our children, our grandchildren, and their children, the civilizations and, and uh, societies that go on? And uh, like I said, the research was really difficult, and thank God for Google couldn't have put this book together without it. Mm -hmm. But the research was difficult in that I knew the chapters. I knew what I wanted to talk about. And then I had to go find all the stuff that would support it. And then I had to find the quotes of the famous people that would support some common sense for that. Comments made by a journalist or a philosopher or a or a PhD or whoever, they're all in the book. The other thing I tried to do was to make sure that the political voices were across the spectrum. Right. You know, Ronald Reagan said this, or Jerry Ford said this. And I tried to stay away from politics in the sense that what was presented would speak for itself. If somebody said something, that's their words. That's mm -hmm. what they said. That's what they did. You can't deny it. I hope I've achieved that because some of it is very pointed politically, but not because of me. I thought you accomplished that a great deal. I didn't find it as uh, a political hit piece, or I thought that all the information was very relevant to documenting the escalation and what has happened in the country that's brought about the circumstances that we are now facing. I had five beta readers go through this, the same one that I sent you, the same manuscript, and the, the results were all the same. They all came back to me and basically said, wow, I, I learned things that I did not know. Some of them made me very angry. And that was the response that I was hoping for. I mean, I had no idea I would get it, but that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this book should make you angry because we've been lied to, we've been toyed with, and we continue to be not only in the political arena, but as how this country is run and how the money is the deciding factor in a lot that happens in this country. Yes, it is. I think, Casey, I would add something else, and that is mm -hmm. that I, one of the big themes in the book is we are the governor. They're our employees. So right. if elect them, and then we go away and we don't pay attention, shame on us. We are in control, but you have to be a participant and not an observer. Right. Too many people, we have to know the issues. We have right. to understand that democracy and freedom only exist as long as we want it. It's something that I often say that democracy is not a spectator sport. If what we're doing is we're sitting back and we're just allowing elected officials to give us all these promises, and then once they're in office, it's like all of that no longer was said or promised or whatever, but we continue to elect them over and over again, then shame on us. I'm often shocked when I look back at the initial promises by certain members of Congress saying that they believed in term limits and that they would not run for office beyond a certain point. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have to confront, not as Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives, 
we have a government where we have people that are so powerful and ensconced in those institutions that it's very difficult to hear other voices that really matter. And term limits, in my estimation, is one way that we could confront that. And yet we have politicians that run on that idea. You know, John McCain was a big supporter of term limits. So was Mitch McConnell. It's criticized for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mitch McConnell has been, again, this is not about Mitch McConnell as a member of the Republican Party. There have been a lot of Democrats that have promised the same thing. And then they've far exceeded what they originally envisioned in terms of how long that they would be willing to serve. They're no longer representing the people, they're representing their own best interest. Why don't we have a, an intellectual committee that mm-hmm. discusses issues before Congress? We have all these electronics. Why don't we have a national a website where anybody can go and say yes or no on mm-hmm. a issue? Why are we left out? Because if we had the discourse of conversation, it would take away the power of those individuals. And that's what it's all about. I believe that the current efforts to suppress votes is because so many people voted in the past couple elections because we started to recognize the value of our vote in changing things. And that doesn't work for everybody in politics. Back to what I said, we're in charge and it's Congress needs reform. Yeah, but... I think the point that some people are making is that by limiting the impact of the voters, by making it so that it becomes harder and harder for some people to vote versus others, that there is a way to control our voices and control what happens in the halls of Congress. Both sides of the aisle are guilty of gerrymandering. They want to hold on to the political power that they have, and they use these maps to guarantee that they don't have the competition that they should. You know, last week, a federal judge just knocked down the gerrymandering map here Mm -hmm. in Florida. Yeah. I think that's the second time now. They said, basically, call your legislature back and try it again, folks. Everybody should have the right to vote for whoever they want. Stop this BS about carving things out and yes. out here and you can't fight. It's, it's ridiculous. In this day and age, we are not using the technology. The fact that we're still voting on a Tuesday in November, instead of having a week long or a federal holiday or something where everybody can get out to vote that, yeah. and again, I really believe this is a way for a segment of the population to maintain control over the political discourse because we are the government. And that's what I loved about your book. You constantly bring us back 
to that theme, that we are the government. And when people say that the government does this and the government does that, you're basically slapping yourself in the face. Dick Jacobs book, Democracy of Dollars, which for some of you listeners, you'll know that he was the first man that I interviewed. And one of the things that he talks about is the influence of money in politics and how our political voices have been diminished because of the influence of money, both corporate money, dark money, the way that everything is structured. But if we're able to combat those issues and everybody's voices were heard, we'd have a much different country because people wouldn't be frustrated. Like you just said that some of your beta readers after reading it, they were angry And I totally get that because we're not represented. We are not represented in our government. Casey, let me make another point. If you stop and think and you look at the two political parties, they have turned into major corporations. And we've got to stop that. We have to say, wait a minute, these political parties, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, are not an official part of the government. Right. Political parties. Okay. We have to say what's behind it. Here's the other thing that I think is so outstanding about your book. You offer so many solutions at the end of each chapter, but you also talk so much about the consequences. And that's one of the things that I really took away from reading this is that we are not a country that deals effectively with consequences. There seems to be so many people that get away with doing things that the average American cannot get away with. It just seems like the average American faces consequences, but there are a segment of our population that doesn't face consequences. They can get away with doing things that we, the people, cannot. Has reached a point where it is difficult for a lot of people to comprehend what is it I can do? What can I do? Right. You know, it goes back to what you and I said a little while ago. You vote with your head, not with your heart. You mm-hmm. put your religion and your political party aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, been a, I've been a registered voter, independent registered voter from mm-hmm. the day I first voted when I turned 18 years old. Right. And, I, and I can honestly sit here and tell you I have regularly voted Republican, Democrat, because mm-hmm. I thought an individual might go and get some things done. Yeah. The problem is that the minute they get elected, you have to raise a certain amount of money, then we've tied their hands. Exactly. You're absolutely right. You just brought something up I want to bring home. When I was living in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is a closed primary state. So if you do not belong, to one of two political parties. Same here in Florida. Yeah, you cannot vote in a primary election. Now, how is that possible? It, it just makes no sense to me. I also have always registered as an independent. And in Pennsylvania, I couldn't vote in a primary. So I would have to choose and do a lot of homework prior to an election. And I've switched back my party affiliation a number of times because I wanted to be able to exercise my vote. But 
to me, that's one of the big things that holds us back, that we have two political parties that have so much power and control in our choices that it makes it very difficult for a a large segment of the population that wants to be independent of the two parties to actually register their voices because they're prevented from voting in primaries. It makes no sense to me. You also have to listen carefully if you like a candidate. And I use a term in the book a lot um, that we have to be careful of the wolves are disguised in sheep's clothes. And in politics, there are many because there are people who are ambitious. I think this is one of the ways to exercise that ambition. Look, we're paying $174,000 a year. Most people would die to make $174,000 a year, plus all the perks and all. I'm not saying that they're not worthy of this, Mm -hmm. because there is a lot of stress put on families and what Mm -hmm. have you in Congress. But at the same time, we have to say, okay, we're going to pay you all this money, but you better realize why you're there. Yes. You better walk a line. Exactly. Because it goes back to what I was saying in terms of democracy is not a spectator sport. You have to be actively involved with making these decisions, not one day a year, but every day of the year. And it starts on the local level. You have to be involved in your community and deciding who's on the school board, who is your district attorney, who is your mayor, who's on the town council. Because if you're not paying attention to those elections, it it doesn't get better. Things don't get better locally. No, exactly. And and, here's the thing. If you don't have the time or the inclination to physically get involved, Mm -hmm. the least you can do is study issues. Yes, exactly. A minimum, you can study the issues. So when you come into the voting vote, you know what you're doing and your mind says, I'm comfortable with this. Whether you make a bad decision or not, criticize it. Everybody makes their own decisions, but at least know the issues and and at least say, I feel comfortable with him or her. Mm -hmm. When people ask me about my opinion about how we can fix things in this country. I always say we have to get money out of politics. We have to institute term limits and we have to change the system so that people have more access, not less access to voting. Why why is it that many people go into um, politics? I'll use Congress again. And they're just average people who own a house and so forth. And they come out years later, millionaires, off 174000 a year. No, I don't and think so. that is such a brilliant point. And it's something that I've thought of a great deal because they use their knowledge to make decisions that enrich themselves. And they definitely were enriched by knowledge of the committee assignments that they had. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I want to make sure that I point out something, and that is that the book comes out one week before the 4th of July, because I'm going to say this for Lord, it is a flag-waving book. I don't mm-hmm. care who, who, who takes issue with that. So it comes June 1st, it goes on uh, pre-sale, but the actual publication date is one week before uh, the 4th of July, and I'm hoping that some will read this book 
see the midterms a little differently than maybe they have thought. Vote with your head and vote with knowledge instead of just your heart and by party. It doesn't take a lot of work. Just pay attention. Listen to the words. Don't say, oh, well, he's a Republican and I'm a Republican or Democrat. And that's the way I'm going to vote. Yeah. yeah. And wasn't it Washington that said that the political parties would be the downfall of our country? I believe that he said something to those lines that he didn't want political parties in this country because it's so polarizing. And now we have two parties that basically control everything. Okay, so the book comes out a week before the 4th of July. It will be on June 27th, and then on the 1st, if you want to pre-order on June, on the 1st of June, it'll be available too. And I think it's a wonderful time to come out. I'll tell you one quick story. I told uh, the publisher, oh, okay, we'll put it out in August before the midterm. And I had somebody here at the house and said, well, that's dumb. And I said, why? They said, this book needs to come out before the 4th of July. Yeah. And I said, my God, why didn't we think? And of course we did. Yeah. (laughs) I think the timing is perfect because I'm with you. It's I love my country. I want this country to remain intact. I want us to flourish. I want us to be leaders in the world again. And we can do it despite all the obstacles. So I think the timing is perfect. Be careful. One day we wake up and we're suddenly uh, living under a autocracy. Anyway, I do appreciate this time with you and and you're a wonderful interviewer and I'm going to write more books just so I can promote them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Casey. You're welcome. Bye, Bob. You take care. I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Bob Emery, and you'll check out his book, America Standing Strong, at his website, robertjemeryauthor.com. Bob's work is a prime example of why I started this podcast. The works of brilliant writers often go unrecognized unless the works are coming from the Goliaths of the publishing industry. But publishers like Indies United Publishing House and other small publishers that promote the works of indie authors have so much to offer readers. Thanks so much for listening to the Emerging Writer Series podcast. There are so many wonderful writers out there with works to explore. Our goal is twofold. We aim to inform and inspire new writers on how to achieve their goals as well as highlight works by new, undiscovered, or noteworthy authors we admire. Feel free to send us your recommendations, and we'll do our best to take a look. And don't forget to check out the line of writer-themed merchandise that supports the show at twobeanscafe.com, as well as checking out the links for our guests on the show. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a short hiatus to record more interviews and create additional episodes. Please make sure to tune in and listen when they're available. Until then, onward and upward!